really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show for news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. My name is David Lawrence, your host for the show. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you, and it's easily accomplished. I'm easy to find on all your socials, and you can always just drop me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. Well, there was a ton of action this weekend, as always, so why don't we get this show started? So starting as always with our current updates and current updates this week, my son and I are almost done with Library Quest. So Library Quest involves visiting 10 different libraries in our general area with a task assigned to each one of them. The tasks are really just simple things that sort of build on one, uh, on each other. So by the visit we made this week, he can go to the online catalog, look up a title or an author he knows and likes, and then find those books and check them out on his own library card. I don't think he really gets the ultimate value of something like this yet, but um, but to be fair, he's been a great sport about it. We fill out our little review form after each visit and stuff. Um, so far, there, there's a library in a town called Southboro, not too far from here, with the highest rating, on uh, according to, <laughs> to his records. Um, but that's because the librarian gave him a little swag bag before we left, and he is eminently susceptible to bribes at this stage. Um, two more to go on the list. Um, he'll get some sort of prize for completing the list. I honestly have no idea what the price should be yet. Uh, so as always, if you have suggestions, please get in touch. I'd really love to get some funny, cool, creative ideas, something more creative than, you know, just another pack of Pokemon cards or something, because I got nothing here. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! No, Isa, it's not good news this week, at least not for Munster fans, whose team continues to be ravaged by injuries. Quoting here, quote, John Klein is set to miss the rest of the season after undergoing surgery on an ongoing eye issue, de delivering a hammer blow to both Munster and South Africa. The World Cup winner picked up the, uh, the injury initially against Leinster in November, and while uh, head coach Graham Roundtree originally expected him to be out at least until the new year, the severity of the injury has been revealed this week in an injury update from Munster. The injury was confirmed ahead of Munster's crunch clash with Toulon in the Champions Cup at the Stade Mayol, uh, where the reigning United, uh, URC champs are searching for their first win in Europe this season. Klein is what is part of an already eye-watering injury list at Thoman Park, with his Leinster-bound uh, South African second-row partner, R.G. Snyman, also out with a chest-slash-shoulder injury sustained in the World Cup final in October. October? Wasn't that November? Anyway, those are just two of an exhaustive list of players in absentia, although Ali Yager, Finian Witcherly, Alex Nankavell, uh, Niall Scannell, Peter Omahani, Joey Carberry, and Patrick Campbell are all possibilities to play against Toulon, Munster have confirmed. Ireland back row Jack O'Donoghue, meanwhile, will see a consultant this week to see whether he will require surgery on a knee injury or not. The two-cap international suffered the injury against Connacht on New Year's Day, a game where Munster suffered a heavy, uh, heavy injury toll. While Klein is out the remainder of Munster's campaign, it's unclear as to whether he'll be back for the Springboks in their July tests against Ireland, who Klein, uh, Klein previously represented, and beyond. 
uh, with Munster languishing in 10th in the URC and facing games against Toulon on the high-flying Northampton Saints in the must-win category in the Champions Cup. Being without two World Cup winning second rows is not ideal, unquote. Yeah, yeah, not ideal. Pretty hard to, to argue with that one. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week, I'm actually thinking quite a bit about attendance in the URC, which seems to be on the upswing. So quoting here once again from Rugby Pass, quote, South Africa's rugby franchises again led the way as the, the URC broke another attendance record this past weekend, with the two local derbies accounting for almost half of the total figure, the figure of 135,747 which was topped up by the delayed Sharks-Lions derby in Durban this weekend. Ooh, a Durban derby. Um, took the figure way past the 123,207, which was set last season in round 11. Considering almost 60,000 of those fans for one round came from the two South African derbies, it underlines again the success of South African franchises joining the league and not only bolstering the broadcast numbers, but also fans in stadiums as well. The tally could only be completed after the Sharks-Lions game, but stands for the round that was traditionally played before and after Christmas, with almost 20,000 fans flock, uh, uh, and almost 20,000 fans flocked to the Durban game to put it over the top. This comes off the back of a record 1.6 million total attendance for the 2022-23 Vodacom URC season, which also saw the highest ever crowd for the league's grand final, 56,334 while an all-time high of 37.4 million watched across the campaign. Of the first seven games of round eight, it was DHL Stormers Derby with the Vodacom Bulls that attracted 39,925 to the DHL Stadium in Cape Town. That was the biggest crowd figure, followed by the 25,600 that went to Thoman Park to watch Leinster against Munster. Other games saw Glasgow selling out their first leg, uh, the, the first leg of the 1872 clash with uh, with Edinburgh, while Zebra Parma recorded their largest crowd for a league game in Parma since 2014. Nice. In addition, Cardiff Rugby put up uh, put up the sold-out signs for the game against Dragons. A, clo a close-to-capacity crowd took in Connacht's visit to Ulster, and Scarlets had a season-high number of fans in to add their voices to the West Wales Derby against Ospreys, unquote. So, Obviously, right on the show, I've been saying how difficult it is as a viewer to have any idea how many people show up to these cavernous arenas in South Africa. So it's it's just gratifying to hear that the numbers continue to look positive. Now, if we could only get a few people to show up for those pesky Lions games. Hmm. So that, of course, brings us to our reviews for the weekend. And you know what, everyone? It finally well, it happened. I looked at that mostly blank slate in the URC, and it drove me over the edge. I forked over the seven bucks for a month of the rugby network. That meant for the first time this year, I was actually able to watch the men's premiership and the PWR. So starting with the Gallagher premiership, we, of course, had two Friday fixtures. It was Sale versus Bristol getting things started. Very pleased to report AJ McGinty made his return to action. That poor dude has been injured like 70% of his entire life, it feels like. The comms were also happy to announce it was a dry night for a change and even stole one of my Noah's Ark jokes. But you know what? I was done with it anyway. Uh, Rafi Quirk, he's still injured. And as you know, that means war. Uh, however, it was the Bears with the early momentum. Harry Randall opened up the scoring with his 20th try in 86 appearances in the Prem. Hate to say it, but Austin Healy had an interesting insight about what England is looking for in a winger in the modern game. They were discussing Tom Roebuck and saying he's on Steve Borthwick's radar. I mean, he said that what you want now is like 10% just out and out pace 
60 to 70 percent aerial work and the rest just hard work. I just thought that was an interesting ratio and hadn't even thought of that. Anyway, not the best day for the Sharks, who only found seven points through three quarters of play while the Bears looked to be cruising with 10 minutes to go, however, it was very much up in the air, just five points between the two sides, but Sale gave up two yellows in quick succession to pretty much guarantee a win for their guests. Bristol getting a good road win. It was 14-22 to 22 by the end. Next up, it was Newcastle versus Harlequins, and despite supporting the Quins, I was worried about watching this one. Falcons have been so abominable this year. As I feared, it took literally 67 seconds before they found themselves down a try. A yellow to Adam Rodwand saw Harlequins get in for a second score, but to be fair, it was a reasonable 3-10 to 10 as the players slopped their way into the dry warmth of the lockers. Gotta say, my first experience with the Rugby Network's replays, it's, uh, it's not good. The timeline can't be advanced or rewound. You can only use the plus 10 seconds or minus 10 seconds. You can't just like slide it to the place you're looking for. It really wakes, makes uh, watching a bit of a trial, but maybe I'm just reacting to watching the Falcons for the first time this year as well. Newcastle, they looked at least as bad as reports have been. I really have a hard time seeing them getting into the win column at all this year based on what I saw this weekend. Their attack is absolutely nowhere Three points was all they could manage today, and they only looked close to scoring a try maybe once throughout the entire match. It felt like Quinn's kind of let them off the hook a bit, but it was still what the comms called a big win on the road, 3-24 to 24 for the visitors. Leicester versus Saracens. This looked like a classic in the making, with rumors of Owen Farrell moving to France dominating the talking points in the lead-up. This weekend was the first I'd heard of that. Uh, that is big news for sure. Kind of sounds like a done deal. I'm hearing Paris, but I've not heard if that means Racing or Stad. But in the end, it'll probably just turn out to be Leinster, you know? In any event, it was a mostly full house on a very bright day. And in these teams' history, there was literally nothing separating them. 26 wins apiece and four draws. Amazing. Tigers, they struck first in this one, but Saracens had a quick answer. They told us that 31 of the series' 40 tries this year have all come in three phases or less. A remarkable stat. Uh, one conversion from Andre was all the difference in the first half as they went to the lockers at 12 to 10. Um, Shegan was having a great day for the visitors. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Shegan is also what got Stuart Hogg his MBE a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, anywho, it was a pretty enjoyable contest. It was surprising to see Lester ahead given their 10 to 4 edge and handling errors, which seemed like a ton before 50 minutes had even gone by. But that, I suppose, was counteracted by Saracens giving away 10 penalties to 5 and their 11th. Saw Mauro Otoje going to the bin for 10 minutes as Lester hammered on the door. Harry Simmons' first ever premiership try felt like a huge moment on the cusp of the final quarter, and his Tigers would indeed hold on for a compelling win over a Saracen side that's been a bit up and down this season. It was 19-10 to 10 by the end at Welford Road. Exeter were hosting Northampton at the same time as the Leicester game, and I knew this because they kept cutting away to it, to the extent that I actually knew the entire outcome without watching it, which was frankly a bonus for me. Uh, pretty sure they said the Chiefs went up 26-0 before the Saints began their epic comeback, eventually winning away 36-42. to Is it possible? This is Northampton's year? Like, it seems out of the realm of any reasonable possibility to me, but on the other hand, they've been basically proving me wrong every single week this year. On Sunday, Bath, they played host to a struggling Gloucester at the rack. The comms called the fact that the ground was even playable a, quote, triumph of groundskeeping, unquote, for this 249th clash over 141 years between these historic teams. Gloucester, of course, were on an eight-loss streak, and with Finn starting for Bath, it was hard to see it not getting to nine. Side note here. Okay, this is kind of silly, I guess, but 
it's been a while since I've actually watched, you know, straight up English rugby. As an American, the regionalism in England is baffling to me um, because nothing is actually far away from anything else. Like in, in this one, they did the whole, oh, it's a classic rivalry between these two regions. But if you look up the drive from Bath to Gloucester, it's an hour. Like over here in the MLR, if you drove from Dallas to Houston, it would take you three and a half times that. When I, I look at a map of the Premiership, I'm fairly sure the largest distance be between two teams would be Newcastle and Exeter, a drive you could make in under a full workday if you wanted to drive, however, from the Free Jacks home in Quincy to watch us play the Seawolves, you'd be looking at 45 hours in the car. I I honestly have no great point to make here. It just cracks me up. Um, oh, that person is so very different from us. They live a full 34 minutes away. Anyway, uh, Englefield. He got his first start for the Cherry and Whites and clearly hit some nerves early on, but I'll reserve judgment until at least his 16th birthday. Uh, after what the comms called, quote, an awful lot of kick tennis, <laughs> there was an outbreak of rugby, but it didn't lead to much, although Gloucester actually found themselves ahead after a quarter hour. There was a funny moment when DeGlanville caught a Finn Russell rocket with his lovely little face. I swear, it almost looked intentional, but I, I think it was actually just a bit of an off day for Finn. <clears throat> Entering the final quarter, it was a mere 12 to 10 edge for your home team, and you felt that neither fan base would be happy with their team's performance, but then it was he of the bruised face slicing through, and this try was weird looking. It looked like three Gloucester players thought, eh, somebody else will tackle that guy. Anyway, Bath were up just seven in the closing moments. Gloucester had a full 75 or 80 meters to go if they wanted to snag a draw, but it was not to be. Bath held on despite a mediocre performance and got another important win. Gloucester absolutely staggering at the moment. It was 17 to 10 by the banks of the surging River Avon. Okay, making the lateral move over to the PWR, the Bristol Bears women, they had a bye week this week, but on Saturday... We had one I was really looking forward to. It was Gloucester Hartbury taking on Loughborough. But today was the day that I was reminded. The Rugby Network doesn't carry all the games. They pick one each week, and this was not their choice, sadly. Uh, by the end of this one, you could hear the palindromic score klaxon blaring away as the reigning champs got another easy victory, 42-24 to over the Lightning. Emma Singh again featured prominently for the home team, converting all six of her team's tries, one of which she scored herself. Uh, Hannah Jones-Jones, great name, she got a brace as well, uh, while for Loughborough, Catherine O'Donnell scored half of her team's four. The Lightning have faced Gloucester Hartbury four times in a row, no, four times, I should say, in the last year, and they have yet to register a victory. Uh, after that, Sale women faced Saracens women. It was a really tough day for Sale. They managed only three points while their guests poured in 11, you heard that right, 11 tries just a brutal smackdown uh page fairies she got herself a hat trick sophie to goody kept piling up points through conversions and a try of her own in the 74th minute only two tries from marley packer this weekend she must be sick or something uh and if sharks smell any blood in the water it's clearly their own our final match on saturday was lester tigers women hosting harlequins women it was the most i guess reasonable game of the round the tigers Losing at home 24 to 33, it was four tries among four players for the home side, but they converted just two of them while Quinns were methodical, getting five tries, including a brace from Caitlin Leaney. To close out the weekend in England on Sunday, we had the one fixture the Rugby Network did select. It was Exeter Chiefs women home for the Trailfinders. 
I saw that the replay was two and a half hours long, so I hoped there would be some nice lead up, like some talking points, all the rest. No, the broadcast began just about a minute into the actual game, which is a perfect microcosm for watching rugby in the United States. Um, Exeter. They opened the scoring with a beauty from Hope Rogers. They mentioned it was her 29th try in 30 appearances for the club. She is clearly a machine. On the other side, Victoria Laughlin looked great on the wing for Ealing. The comms described her as having, quote, telescopic elegant limbs, unquote, that put her at the top of the offload leaders in the competition. Uh, it looked like Ealing wouldn't get a score before halftime, but Abby Dow had other ideas. Uh, it was 24 to 7 at the break. Chiefs women, however, they just kept clicking in the second half. Alex Tessier was your clear player of the match as Exeter put this one to bed handily. A USA Eagle, Kate Zachary, got a very late try of her own for her new team to add a little respectability to the final scoreline, but this one was all Chiefs from the opening moments. A good old fashioned double up at Sandy Park, 38 to 19 to finish off the weekend in the PWR. That actually leaves the table in, in pretty good shape if you look at it. Um, seven of the nine teams have now completed six matches. Sale and Gloucester Hartbury having completed five. Um, Saracens, they are your obvious league leaders at the stage, having racked up almost 300 points over just six games, an insane average. While Leicester are still at the bottom with nothing to show in the wins column, Exeter, they're in second place with just one loss. Gloucester Hartbury are right on their heels with a game still to be made up. Bristol round out the top four, but they're right at three and three. So, you know, the bottom half of the table is struggling. Trailfinders, Harlequins and the Lightning all just have two wins and Sale are sitting on just one. Okay, hopping over to the top 14, we had a 6-1 split uh, with all but one of our games on Saturday. The round got underway with Poe at home for La Rochelle. I was shocked by the stats from the comms at the top. La Rochelle hadn't won on the road this whole season, but they pointed out Nine away wins last year should tell them they can do it. This seemed as good a chance as any for me. Uh, Hugo Royce, he had a really nice day off the tee, putting his team up three to nine in a foot battle early on. The comms compared this one to a sevens game, and I guess that was true, except for the complete lack of tries. Joe Simmons missing two gimme penalties that might have spelled disaster for the home team, but it was Teddy Toma walking in for a game winner, the nine-match home winning run over for Poe. La Rochelle looking like they're getting geared up. It was 20-27 by the double whistle. Rassing versus Cast was next on the list. It's really hard to know what make to, what to make of Rassing this year. Like they they really run hot and cold, but I don't mean game to game. They run hot and cold back and forth within individual matches. Last week they gave up a huge lead and ended up losing. This week they looked ready to repeat that performance, getting up by double digits, then allowing Cast to claw their way back in over and over again. Yeah, like when they're good, they're good, but. I don't think we can trust them in terms of going deep into the playoffs. They're just too inconsistent for me. Uh, today, however, they did manage to do just enough. Even though the visitors had a minute left to try to steal a win, they just kicked it out of bounds, content with a losing bonus point. It was 34-30 to 30 at full time. After that, we had my Bordeaux Begla hosting Bayonne. And this was a no-sound game. No, no comms, no nothing. Uh, but it was still compelling, maybe just due to my bias. Uh, my guys did hold on late just just barely it was a single point win for them at home 24 to 23 perpignan they were at home to face the newcomers oyona who are having some mid-season stumbles and that was the story again this weekend perpignan looked as confident as they have all year this victim put them at a single point ahead of oyona on the table both now with five and seven records perpignan more than doubled up their guests 27 to 12 at full time next we had stade francais versus claremont and guess what it was a draw. 
I, I mentioned it was because incredibly that was the first draw of this entire season in France. Um, it's just not something you see every day. To be fair, I just had this image in my head like they're pretty common in most leagues. Um, maybe I just overestimated that like because uh, I then I actually went and checked. There have, of course, only been two in the URC and the Prem hasn't had any. So more fool me, I suppose. Either way, it was a disappointing result for the drink boxes who fell to third place behind Racing and Bordeaux. They're only a single point ahead of Toulouse and Toulon. 14 all. What's your score on Saturday? Toulouse versus Lyon. That was in the late slot. How happy was I to see? Not just a shot of the Toulouse mascot, but said mascot doing a somersault on the field in the lead up. Come on, more of that, please. Would it kill you to stage a mascot race every now and then? Anyway, the home team didn't even field their full complement this time, but with DuPont running the show, I mean, everything is a mismatch. A long time ago, Mark Jackson, the NBA great, said that when Michael Jordan comes to town, you tell your family and friends to stay home because you don't want to be embarrassed. And I just wonder if, if players feel the same way about playing DuPont. He has a serious habit of making people look bad. Uh, Leon, they couldn't find a single point in the first half. Toulouse just slowly ground them down. A no-look pass here, a Ramos try there. Just complete, quiet domination. USA Eagle David Ainu'u, uh, he put in a strong 45 minutes or so for Toulouse. The visitors just couldn't get it together. The Horn announcing full-time they were still smacking their heads against the Toulouse wall, looking for any points at all. Naturally, they got turned over, and it was Monsieur Dupont taking it to the corner himself, putting a capper on a day Leon would love to forget. It was a comprehensive pantsing. It was 45 to nil by the end. Woof. On Saturday, wrapping up week 12, it was Montpellier back at home for too long. I actually missed this one, but it was a bit of a shocker for the visitors. Montpellier are at the very bottom of the table. So getting a win over a team who have double their table points is a remarkable result. As they say in the NFL, they don't play these games on paper. It was Montpellier's day this time, 27 to 17. Wow. Finally, over in the URC, we had only one fixture this weekend. They said it was a makeup match from round eight. It was bottom of the table Sharks hosting the Lions. The Lions hadn't won in Durban since 2017, an unbelievable chasm of failure. All the big stars were on display for the home team. Etzebeth was back from his tummy troubles last week. He, one of eight Springboks, just in the starting lineup. It was a beautiful day for summer rugby in the Rainbow Nation. Kids splashing in the pool at one end of the field, but both teams struggled to get anything really cooking. Anyone else notice that weird thing? Speaking of Edsmith, that he kept doing, like, he kept getting sucked into these, to setting up cal uh, caterpillar rucks, but every time they tried to do that, he would just reach out, grab some other random dude by the scruff of the neck, pull him over and make his exit. He was just like, nope, not being a part of any caterpillars today. Like, I've just never seen anyone do that before. It was kind of funny. Anyway, for me, Sharks looked like, like they might have finally hit their stride, taking an 18-3 advantage into the break, but it may have been that the Lions players were just freaked out by the presence of fans in the stadium. Gotta say, it's weird. This is another one of those stadiums where it's so gigantic it always looks empty, but today they told us there was more than 19,000 fans on hand. Oh, and just after halftime, Joel Hintz came on for his second appearance as a Shark. Really hope this turns into like a permanent home for him. That guy is so great. Anyway, Athalele Fasi, he had an amazing game at fullback it's tough to be a standout in the backfield when Lacanio Am and Makazoli Malpimpi are both out there but he was beating at least one defender every time he touched the ball but even with all this firepower it was still a conservative 18 to 13 as we entered the final 10 minutes Werner Koch he again showed us why he tops the league in work rate like the guy is so good but 
I just had this weird feeling like I'm afraid to ever meet him. I just have this odd feeling that he's on some like weird cult vibe. Like I, I can picture him being like, David, you can be just like me. You just need to follow this weird cult leader person. I don't know. It's just a vibe I get. Anyway, Sonelli Nohamba, who I highlighted a few weeks ago, missed a fairly easy penalty wide left that would have made it a two-point game, but a mall try from Marius Lowe tied it up. Nohamba would redeem himself, putting his team up a pair. At the very end, it was Eben Etzmeth, Havoc Incarnate, getting a shocking heads-up turnover, and Bota Chamberlain was in, fresh off the bench, to try to get a draw at home. That was not how the cards played out this time. The missed kick, giving the Lions their first win at Sharks in like six and a half years and left a devastated home side still floundering in the shallow end of the URC, 18 to 20 in a huge game. By the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Eben Etzebeth. Mr. Etzebeth, you set the standard for your team in what looked like it would be an epic and much-needed victory this weekend. And you were doing it all on both sides of the ball. Just an incredible performance by you. The comms said you were, quote, peerless, a man among men, unquote. And I believe if someone who had never watched rugby in their life saw that game, they'd instantly pick you out as the key player. You absolutely leaped off the screen and gave it the full 80 minutes as well. Eben Etzimeth, insane ogre of a man. Congratulations, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, sir. Well, that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews. There is a lot to look forward to this weekend. Make no doubt about it. I'm pretty sure you're all aware the European competitions come back this weekend. Kalu Calais, it all kicks off on Friday in the top competition with red-hot Northampton Saints taking on much, much less hot Bayon. On Saturday, it's going to be a big day. We start with Leon hosting Mike Connacht. Exeter welcome the Glasgow Warriors to the racist Dimwit Stadium. The Bears of Bristol take on the Bulls of... Vodacom. Uh, Toulon, they play however many players will be available for Munster. Leinster hosts Stade Francais. Stormers are home for sale, most of whom should feel right at home, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Cardiff, they face Harlequins, and Ulster face off against a potentially mighty Toulouse team in the Milwaukee's Best Light Cup. We've got two Friday fixtures. It's hapless Newcastle facing Hapful uh, Benetton, followed by Ospreys hosting Perpignan on Saturday, we'll see Sharks versus Oyana, Claremont versus Scarlets, Zebra versus Dragons. Dang, they better be giving those tickets away. Woof. Cast, they'll be at home for a feisty Black Lion team. Edinburgh, they host Gloucester, and Montpellier are home for the Lions. On Sunday, Cheetahs are home for Poe. Go Cheetahs. Meanwhile, in the PWR, the games keep coming fast and furious. Leicester Tigers women still searching for that elusive first win, this time against the Bristol Bears women. The Harlequins women will face the Loughborough Lightning. Saracens women will be home for Exeter Chiefs women. And finally, the Trailfinders are back in Ealing to get annihilated, I mean, uh, to face off against Gloucester Hartbury. Should be phenomenal. <laughs>
Well, my friends, that does it for another week. I am very excited to get back to the Heineken Cup and the Coors Light Cup this weekend. It's it's so compelling, even with the kind of screwball format. We're also a couple weeks away from the Sevens returning, which is always a ton of fun. So, to all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, that was neat.